so we're finishing our, our, ser- our series on, uh, on Shatter tonight, which I'm excited about. The, the truth of the matter is, is that um, that's my car is being broken into as we speak, and that is sad for them. Anyway, um, yeah, so tonight's, tonight is going to be a, a, um, a different kind of night. Some, you know, some nights uh, we have a lot of fun in here and we play a lot of games and, we, um, and I, tr- I attempt to be funny. And sometimes you think I'm funny and sometimes you don't, but whatever, I try at least. And uh, sometimes there's a whole bunch of stories to it and, and it's, it's really easy to listen to because there's just a lot of stories and you just connect with stories. And then some nights we just have to take God's word and stare at it until we figure out what it's talking about. Um, that's going to be what kind of night it is tonight, which takes a little bit more maturity on your part. I'm not going to make it super easy on you. I'm not going to like tell you funny jokes and whatever, just to kind of hang on to your attention. I don't have time for that. So tonight, um, this is an incredible, huge, like gospel from 30,000 feet kind of message. It's, it's, it's crazy, but it just, it's going to be on you to get something out of it. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of give you a little, little buck up speech. You with me? Cool. All right. So the first week when we did the shattered thing, we talked about um, how God is at work when uh, we sin, how God's grace uh, collides with our sin to bring us forgiveness and redemption. And last week we looked at, we looked at what happens when life falls apart and it's not our fault, where God is in that. And tonight, tonight we're going to look at, tonight we're going to look at creation, all of it. Everything that, that we know, because, because something just doesn't seem right to me. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates. He speaks the world into existence, and he separates the air and the water and the land and the sea and brings light into the, into the world and creates plants and animals and people. And then in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, God, it, it says that God saw everything that he made and he said it was very good. It's a passage we're familiar with. We know the creation story. We know that at the end of it, God looks at every, everything that he had done, everything that he had made. The hugeness of, of the physical creation of the universe and says, man, that's good. Is it good? Does it feel good to you? When you get up in the morning and maybe you're like eating your Cheerios or whatever and you watch the news, does it seem good? Very good? Like God's eyes, very good? I'm hearing lots of weird buzzing and humming and stuff, man. So just for free. Um, I don't feel like it's very good. I have an app on my phone. It's called Flipboard, and that's where I get most of my news stories. I read a lot of news stories. Um, and just, especially here recently, man, it, it just hasn't felt Genesis 131E. During this Ebola outbreak, we're, we're, we've passed the 5,000 people dead mark. 5,000 people have died from Ebola. That doesn't feel good. ISIS, um, we got the ISIS people there, crazy, right? Um, in, in just in 14 days, two weeks last month, they killed 700 people in 14 days. Does that feel Genesis 131-8 to you? 1.2 million people have been displaced by the violence in Iraq. 1.2 million people had to flee their homes. That didn't feel good to me. That didn't sound 
good and look good. Maybe that feels very, very distant to you. So maybe we'll do one in our, our country. Uh, Friday um, in Washington State, a guy named uh, Jalen Freiberg, he was homecoming prince at his school, walked into his school and shot some people, killed somebody and killed himself. And the crazy part about it was it felt commonplace. In April, Boko Haram um, kidnapped 219 girls. They've had them ever since. Since then, they've kidnapped 70 more. They're gone too. And just today, uh, there was a landslide and like 150 people are missing. I've been watching the death toll climb all day. Genesis 131, God creates and he looks down on all these created and he said, man, that's good. But it's not now. Something happened. Our world feels shattered. Everything that I know about this planet feels broken. It doesn't feel like what I read in Genesis 1 or 2. It doesn't feel anything like that. It feels completely opposed to that. It doesn't seem like God would, would look down upon those kind of things or thousands of other things that we could list. Just stuff from your life, man. Just today, doesn't, I don't think God would look down on those things and say, man, that's good. That's exactly the way I, I, I wanted this to be. We live in a shattered, broken, messed up world. And it's imperative for us to know where God is in that, what he's up to, why it is the way it is, how God could call this place good, yet it's not. We've got to know what's going on and where God is in it. It begins in Genesis chapter 3. That's where the, that's where the story starts taking shape. Well, merely before that, in, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, we find... We find um, we find that God's put Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And they're in the garden of Eden and Adam and Eve are, are there and, and God is at work and, and there's this beautiful story. And it's, it's, I'm not, we're, I, th- I think it's, it, I don't know if there's going to be things on the screen. I'm going to try not to pay attention to that. But throughout the story, we, we see that the God is, is about creating and he's, he's placed Adam in this, in this garden and, and he's in, enjoying the creation where God has placed him. There's like rivers and plants and stuff. He's got everything he needs. And then God says, hey, it's not, it's not okay for, for man to be alone. We need to find him a, find him a helper and um, somebody to, to, to be with. And they kind of go through all the animals thing and, and no suitable helper was found. So, so God uh, creates woman and puts her in the garden. And then it's really, really good. And then, and then Genesis 2 closes where it says that Adam and Eve were in the garden before God and there was no shame. Where they were just, they just got to hang out with God. Like the, the physical presence of the God of the universe and them just like hung out and like walked around the garden in the cool of the day. And that was the way it was intended to be. That, that sounds good to me. That, that sounds Genesis 1 That sounds right. That sounds good. Genesis 2 sounds fantastic. And it was. Is our world good right now? No. Was it good? Undeniably so. It was a beautiful, perfect place where people like us got to live in community with God. And there was no separation. There was no shame. There was no division. It was just perfect. But then Genesis 3 comes. In Genesis 3, the serpent comes. And the woman's deceived. And the man fails to act. And sin enters the world. And immediately we begin to see the effects. 
All right? There's a word that, um, it's an ancient word. It's called, it's, it, the word shalom. Uh, in Jewish culture now, that word basically means peace. But, but a long time ago, that word meant more than peace. That word meant um, that things were the way God intended them to be. So shalom meant the way God intended things to be. Genesis 2 was the epitome of shalom. It was exactly how God intended it. And all of a sudden, Genesis 3 happens and the fall happens and sin enters the world. And, and shalom is a memory. The idea of shalom is, is still there and it's something that maybe still even be recognizable, but the presence of it, the reality of shalom, the way things God intended it to be was a memory from that point forward. Genesis 2 was shalom. After that, it was something that we attain to. It's something we chase after. It's no longer there. So, Genesis 3, sin enters the world, and immediately we're going to see the effects. So, that shame that we're talking about, how they didn't have any, now they do. That, that distance that didn't exist between them and God, all of a sudden, there's distance. And it, just, it didn't just affect people. It, it affected creation itself. In Genesis 3.17, it says, uh, this, is, this is God um, delivering the, the curse against uh, creation because of sin. In Genesis 3.17, God said of the, or the earth, it said, cursed is the ground because of you. Did you, did you catch that? that? That the whole apple scene cursed the earth too. Like it wasn't just Adam and Eve. It was like, the dirt they were standing on, like it changed not just people, not just people's relationship to God, but like all of it. Curses the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat from it all the days of your life. It's like you're going to have to work for it. Adam didn't have to work for food. Like it just happened. Like there was just this ease to life before that. And then after that, after the fall, there, that ease was gone. It was taken away. It was Shattered. Shalom was a memory. Curses the ground because of you. So we live in the aftermath. That this, is, this is where we are. This is where we are. We live in the aftermath of the fall. Where in Genesis 3, everything fell apart. In the moment when sin entered the world, it cursed humanity. It caused separation between humans and God. And it also cursed the totality of creation. It just wasn't the same after that. Everything was warped. It was literally shattered. It was no longer as God intended it to be. It was a shadow of that. It was like a broken mirror. I think that we haven't completely forgotten what the garden must have been like. I think there's something inside of us that God places in us to remind us that that, of what shalom would be like. Of what it would be like to have that kind of relationship with God where there, there wasn't any separation between you. Those moments, maybe you get a hint of it, in a, maybe at a camp or worship service or maybe in greenhouse sometimes you just get this hint of the, 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 the way that your relationship with God is supposed to feel. That, I think that's, a, I think that's like, a, like a memory or a remnant of what it must have felt like to be in the garden with God. When everything was right, where everything was exactly the way it should be. I think some, in some deep part of us, God lets us remember and and feel what it would have been like to have had things the way he intended it. I think we're made for that shalom. We're made for that garden. We're made for walking with God in the cool of the day. So we try to approximate it. We try to chase it. We try to figure out our own way to, to, to find that fulfillment and that completion that comes from being in a relationship with God. We try to figure out our own way to fix 
all that's been broken around us. Because in a shattered world, we can't find the kind of fulfillment that we could have found in Genesis 2. We can't get that anymore. So, And sometimes instead of running to God to find our, our completion or our fulfillment, we run to some other things. Solomon, Solomon did this. Solomon, uh, uh, Solomon was a king in, in the nation of Israel. Um, he was David's son. He was the wisest man that's ever lived. God gave him this extraordinary wisdom that surpassed the wisdom of anybody else in history. And Solomon wrote the Proverbs, and he also wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. If you've never read Ecclesiastes, it'll mess, it'll mess up your day. You're not going to have a good day when you read Ecclesiastes. You just don't. So Solomon, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he, um, he starts writing about the way that he tried to approach this brokenness in the world. That brokenness that you feel. When you go into your school and you want to have a great day and you, you want to connect with people, and man, today's going to be different. It's not going to be like yesterday. It's going to be great. And then that day's terrible too. Those, those times when you just don't feel like you being here is worth it. That deep-seated resentment and like that is failure that seems to plague us, that, that, that pain that's always there. This is how Solomon tried to fix it. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In verse 3, he talks about basically that he just started partying as hard as he possibly could. Basically what he did. In verse 3, he talks about, um, he talks about just chasing pleasure. He talks about <laughs> trying, to find, uh, trying to find joy at the bottom of a bottle. He, tries, he, talks about, he talks about just doing dumb things that <laughs> um, remind me of being... 16. There's, in, in 1 Kings, that we get accounts of these, of these parties. Uh, any party that you could ever imagine sounds like a preschool pizza party compared to Solomon's parties. All right? Like pre, preschool pizza parties, you're sitting there gnawing on your one piece of pizza, and you can't have seconds because there's only one medium. That's what your party feels like compared to Solomon's party. These parties went on for uh, weeks at a time, and they had enough provisions for about twenty to 30,000 people a day. And it didn't stop. Just constant, constant party for weeks at a time, 20 to 30,000 people just going absolutely nuts. That's how Solomon partied. That's verse three. In verses four through nine, he talks about trying to pursue success. He's like, hey, that, that whole party scene wasn't really working out. So what I decided I was going to do was work as hard as I could to be remembered forever. I'm going to work as hard as I can to amass as much silver and gold as I can. He talks about that he didn't just plant gardens, he planted forests, okay? Like some of your parents find some like satisfaction having a nice, like cool looking yard or whatever. And they're the kind of people that plant pansies in the winter. They're going to die, dude. Like it's, I don't, so I, I, I cut my grass. That's about all I can muster. But some people have these beautiful yards and they're like, no, it's time and energy in it. Solomon's like, I planted a forest. What? Not only did I plant a forest, I made some people dig some giant holes in the bedrock to water my forest. Like you got sprinklers or whatever, I got giant caverns I dug in bedrock. You can go see them. They're, literally, they're just sitting there. They're these huge pits in the ground that Solomon made some people dig for him to water his forest garden, okay? Like this dude did it bigger and badder than any of you or any people you ever heard of like combined. He said he amassed more wealth than anybody the world had ever known, and he did. He talks about how many women that Solomon um, hung out with. You couldn't pass what this guy did. You can't out-party. You can't ask out. You can't outdo Solomon. He did everything that there could be to be done. 
the, the whole like be successful thing reminds me when I talk to you guys and I ask you what your goal in life is. I'm like, hey man, what, what are you striving for? Like, what do you want to college? What do you want to do with the rest of your life? Be rich? <laughs> That's a stupid answer, all right? Solomon verses four through nine got crazy rich, richer than you're ever going to be. Like Tony Stark rich, okay? Richer than you and everybody you know combined kind of rich. And in verse 10, he summarizes it. He basically says, I tried everything at my disposal. I did everything I, I could do, everything I could think of. I tried it. And I think a lot of us follow in his footsteps. We feel this deep sense of dissatisfaction with the world around us because we live in this shattered, jacked up world. And we try to do things like Solomon did. Man, if I can just be rich enough, if I can just have a big enough house, if I can have a little bit nicer car, if I can have a hot enough girlfriend or a cute enough boyfriend with enough Instagram followers, man, if I can, if I can just get invited to the right party and if I can get wasted enough, maybe I'll forget how terrible my life is. Solomon did all of those things and more. And then in verse 11, verse 11, he tells how it worked out for him. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 11. And then he says, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And guess what? All of it was vanity. All of it was a striving after the wind and there was nothing to be gained whatsoever. Solomon accomplished more than you'll ever accomplish. He was richer than you're ever going to be. And he partied harder than you're ever going to imagine partying. And then he, at the end of the day, he's like... And that wasn't worth it. There's something in us that remembers what fulfillment feels like. And we chase after it in these ridiculous ways, just like Solomon, hoping that eventually we're going to be able to figure out how to right what's been wronged. So here's, here's where we're at in, in our little time together tonight. We've basically summarized that the world is basically terrible right now and has been since Genesis 3, and that you can't do anything about it on your own. Right? Feel good and happy about that? Now, you know that eventually that this would be a terrible message if I just stopped here, right? If I just like, all right, so we're going to small groups. <laughs> Figure that one out. You know I've got to come up with some sort of resolution, right? There's got to be something that we can say about this. Yeah, you live in a shattered world. It's awful. It just is. And it's getting worse. And, and on your own, you will do nothing about it. It's not. You're not going to be rich enough or get enough buildings named after you or whatever to, to have enough impact to, to change that. You're not. So what then? How do we get out of this? How do we get out of the mess that we've found ourselves placed in? In Romans 8, Verse 22, it, uh, Paul says this. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We know that the whole creation, that, that doesn't say people, it doesn't say all people, it says all creation. Everything that God created in Genesis 1, all creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There's a video um, that I can't show you. It's hilarious, though. Uh, there's a video I can't show you where these two guys um, go into, like, a science facility or whatever, and they hook some electrodes up to their belly to simulate contractions, like in labor. It's hilarious. Can't watch it because there's language, because they're literally being shocked like they're in labor. Um, but it's great. It's, it tells me a couple of things. One, um, I'm really glad I can never be in labor. 
Uh, I've seen a lady in labor one time, and it was scary. Uh, I'm going to have to see that again, I think. I think they make you go in the room now. I don't, I'm just kidding, baby. I love you. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm very glad I don't have to do that. That sounds all. It just looks terrible. I mean, I just, mm, mm. You know, I don't even want the electrodes, especially I don't want to do it for real. But also, I mean, it, 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 one, I know I don't want to do it, and one, I know it's just absolutely the worst thing conceivable. It is not just, ladies, get an epidural. Anyway, but there's, there's something about this passage that I think is very, 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 I just, I don't know, it just nails it. That the, that there's, the whole creation has been growing these, in these, these pains like in childbirth, like these terrible, awful, just rolling, just constant pain. And that's what I, sometimes the world feels like to me, that there's this, this undeniable, unquenchable, just constant, constant pain that came from that fall when everything just shattered and fell apart. There's just this pain that's a part of it. But the great thing about childbirth is that as at the end of it, something wonderful happens. And there's this baby, this new thing that seems to make all of what came before worth it. What Paul's alluding to is that all of creation, us included, has been groaning together and his pains of childbirth, waiting for this baby. That's going to change everything. That baby's name was Jesus. He was born in a manger to a mama named Mary. And he literally changed everything. Not just, didn't just change the world. It's going to change all, all things for all time. Makes all of it come to order, gives all of it some semblance of purpose. And what it's saying is that all creation, all of us together, are, are together desiring the coming of the one who can fix it. And then he comes. See, since we talk regularly about the fact that Jesus came to pay the price for your sin, like pretty often we talk about that. Hey, Jesus Christ down the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And it's this real zoomed in picture of, of, of the gospel in your life as an individual, right? That's normally what we talk about. We talk about how Jesus can change your life, where you sit in this room right here. And it's a zoomed in just on you. It's just you and Jesus. That's normally what we talk about. We talk about the gospel and how God changes everything. I talk about how God changes everything for you. And that's absolutely true. But that's a very zoomed-in perspective. And what I wanted you to see tonight out of God's Word is that this very, very zoomed-out perspective. You know, like in the like, movies, you know, when there's like zoomed-in on a guy walking down the street with his puppy or something, and they zoom out, and it's like the whole neighborhood, and they keep zooming, and it's the city, and they zoom out, and it's like the country, and they zoom out, and you're passing clouds and stuff, you know, and it's like the whole entire earth, that kind of perspective. What is God up to from that sort of perspective? I know we talk about what he's doing in your life, but when we back up as far as we can back up and look down on things, things look really jacked up. And at some point, you're going to have a moment when you question, you're like, hey, where is God in like Ebola. Where, is he not, what is going on? Why is, why is the news so terrible? Why is the world so messed up? If God can bring like joy and fulfillment to my life as an individual, why can't he do anything about the world at large? And I'm here to tell you tonight, he is doing something about the world at large. That from Genesis 3, that God made a promise to not just come and save your soul or save our souls, but to save all that he had made. 
to reconcile, redeem, to make new everything again, to put it back together the way it was, to bring back shalom, the way he intended it to be. We see it in passages like 1 Corinthians 15, 27, where it says that God has put all things. It doesn't say you, it doesn't say me, it doesn't say people. God has put all things in subjection under his feet. You see it in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus is praying, how, how we should pray. In Matthew 6, 10, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not talking about just, it's talking about all of it. That everything here would, would succumb to the will and the reign of God just like it does in heaven. So Christ came to make you whole. He came to save you. That's absolutely true. But you aren't the center of the gospel. Your salvation is not the, the, key, the key pivotal cornerstone of entire salvation history. God is the center of the gospel. The story is for his glory. Sometimes I think that we forget we forget the whole story. We forget that, that anything came before us. There's a word, um, a, it's a big fancy word, it's, it's egocentrism. Or we're in, in our head that we think that we are the center of all. And sometimes we get confused about our relationship to what God has been doing in our history. And we think that the, the and if we don't, you know, cog, you know, if I asked you this, you wouldn't say this, but the way we act, the way we think, the way we think about God, we think that the moment we came to Christ was, was like Christianity finally started or something. And that God hadn't been doing anything in the world before that and won't be doing anything in the world after that because it's just, we're so zoomed in on our faith that we forget about everything else that God is involved in. We forget that God has been at work for millennia fixing what's been shattered. We forget that God is at work even in the terrible halfway across the world. We get so focused on our faith and our relationship with Jesus that we, we lose sight of the, the total story of what God is doing to bring about shalom. So there's a, uh, I ran across a video a couple of days ago um, that reminded me of the fullness of the story. Reminded me that God was doing way more than what he's doing just in my life. And it reminded me of the eternal perspective I need to have going forward. So we're gonna watch this video. Um, I hope it reminds you of the story of what God's doing in our midst.